Success is a mountain, okay? And what that means is whenever you think of any type of mountain climber that's trying to uh, climb Mount Everest or they're trying to climb the Himalayas or trying to climb any any mountain that's going to give them any significance in their life or any influence to be able to speak on stages around the world, that mountain climber was prepared for every step of that mountain. He didn't just think, I'm going to start today, I'm going to end up at the top tomorrow. He knows there are obstacles along the way. He's prepared. He has a 150-pound sack on his back with tools to help him climb up that mountain. He knows that there will be crevasses he'll have to climb. He knows about all of the crazy extreme weather conditions that, that, that he, he's going to undergo on the way to the top of the mountain, but all he wants is success. There's no one in life that ever should expect success, but be, but be thinking that they're going to avoid all the challenges and obstacles sure. along the way. Like success is a mountain. Uh, expect success, but also expect the challenges and adversities that are on the way to the top of the mountain. Before we get started today, I would be remiss if I did not thank our partners over at Proper Creative. Proper Creative is a production on demand company and they monetize e commerce platforms. They have a marketing powerhouse team from graphic designers, web development, photographers, videographers, market analysis, digital marketing strategists, and of course, social media experts. They help companies from development of content and products to the execution of digital strategies for e-commerce. They provide both full service and a la carte services for businesses that sell direct to the consumers. For me today, I am wearing a proper creative branded shirt. This is the Level Up Podcast shirt. You can get it. And uh, this is something that we send to all of our guests that come on our show. Our partners send them a gift package, and it's brought to you by Proper Creative. Thank you so much. You can follow them on social media, Instagram primarily, at P-R-O-P-R Creative. Again, they're an L.A.-based company, so they do things a little bit cooler than most. They spell proper, P-R-O-P-R Creative. Follow them on social media, Instagram, and give a shout-out. Thank you so much, again, to our brand partners, Proper Creative. Welcome to another week of Level Up. I am Matt Rogers and so happy that you subscribed, that you liked. I'd ask that you please give us a rating, whether it's good or bad. Hopefully it's good, but please give us a rating and leave a comment because all of that stuff helps build the uh, the algorithm and continue to help us grow. We are currently trending as one of the fastest growing podcasts in 2021, so I cannot thank you enough for just clicking, uh, listening, subscribing, because all that stuff is huge, and that's what we want to do. I always say the best part of Level Up is our guests, and today is nothing short of that. We are bringing you a man who is the top 10 network marketers in the world. He's a top income earner. There's actually an article just came out on him that said that Calvin Becerra knows what it takes to take a company into eight and nine-figure earnings. Most of us concentrate on if we could just get seven figures, Eli, but Calvin operates in the eight and nine-figure arena. Uh, Also, Forbes and Entrepreneur uh, Magazine are saying that he is the top, one of the top seven most influential people that you need to follow in 2021, and they actually ranked him number three. So, Forbes Magazine and Entrepreneur said, 
you need to follow this guy in 2021 because he is one of the, we've done the research. He's one of the top best people that will inspire you and influence you. The thing I like most about Calvin, I've known him a little bit over a decade now. He loves his family. He's a good man. He's a fantastic husband to his beautiful wife, Shannon. And he's got four unbelievable kids, Tegan, London, Caden, and Presley. And most of all, my friend, Calvin Becerra's in the house. How are you, brother? What's up, Matt, dude? It's an honor and privilege just to be on your uh, your podcast. I, I swear, when you invited me on the podcast, I thought you were joking because you told me about some of the names that will be on some of your future podcasts. And I'm like, how am I even in that lineup? So, you know, when Bro. you're inviting me on this podcast, you know, this morning to speak, when you're like, hey, you got all the information, you ready? I thought you were messing with me, you know? So, uh but I'm excited to be on here. Thank you. And uh, thanks for the edification, bro. I appreciate you. Hey, can you see this list right here? <laughs> You're up there. So this was my wish list that I made when we launched, when we launched level up, I said, you know, Eli's like, well, you know, create a list, by the way, I didn't give you your proper intro. Eli Adelman. Yeah. yeah come here. You know, co-producer engineer. He's in the house. Always. I'm getting better. I still make mistakes. Eli. I, don't, I'm, I mean, it's not level up with, Matt and Eli, it's it's Matt Rod. But I gotta just, give you your props. I just make it happen. If I ever mess it up, you start just yelling at oh, me just I will. in the middle of my no. spiel. <laughs> Eli Adelman's in the house. He makes, it, but he told me he goes, "Hey, make a wish list of all the guests that you want on the show." And bro, you're one of the first names that I wrote down. We're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about everything. Um, you know, obviously your story is unbelievable. You gotta hear Calvin's story. We're gonna uncover that right now. But you are what I would say. You're ahead of the curve in terms of cryptocurrency, which if you don't know anything about crypto, you need to because it's the future. And whether you like it or not, it is a currency and you do need to know about it. Calvin knows about it. We're going to talk about that. But also network marketing or MLM, multi-level marketing. You're top 10 in the world. Uh, let's start here because one of the things I like most about that is that your top 10, but one of the people who are ranked ahead of you was Stefania Legato and Danian Fire, and they're on your team. So you actually signed them up, and now they're higher than you, which means you're an unbelievable leader. How does that happen? What's going on in the MLM world? I mean, they're, they're two uh, talented people, you know, and I give huge props to them. Um, that's like my sister and brother right there. They're freaking two of the best people. She's from Portugal, actually, originally from Italy. He's from Germany. They both met uh, on the team, got married. Now they live in Dubai, this amazing life in Dubai. Don't have to pay any taxes, by the way. So, I mean, when I'm spending hundreds of thousands a year in, in taxes, they're just, they don't have to, and they're buying Lamborghinis. You know, it's crazy, bro. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I remember, you know, just when I started with them, they weren't top network marketers. They were learning the business. You know, Danny was just this young kid in his early twenties who just wanted to follow me because he heard about my success in my first company, becoming the youngest millionaire in my first eight months in the business, you know? And uh, I just coached him up and he never quit. He always uh, was focused on learning and developing himself. And he just became that incredible leader. He's a, he's a, he's a world changer, man. He's awesome. People look up to him and uh, yeah, he's passed me up in this business. And what that does in my business, direct sales, network marketing, when someone passes you up that's on your team, it solidifies your income for the future. So that's all I wanted, man. That's the dream, actually. So t tell me about network marketing, because obviously, and you know, you we've heard this for the last 10 years, people get spooky by it. Oh, it's a pyramid scheme. It's this and that. I currently am not involved in a network marketing company, but um, you are. It's been the backbone of your success. You're great at it. There's so many good things that come from it. And I always, you know, you know, Terry and I always talk like 
if we were ever going to do something like that again, you would definitely be my first phone call because of who you are, your character, your integrity, and also your success. Like, I don't want to sign up with someone that's doing it as a part-time thing. Like, you are full-time in this thing, and but you didn't start that way. So tell me two things. Why network marketing to debunk all the people that think it's a pyramid scheme or this and that? And how did you become so successful? All right, cool. Well, the whole pyramid scheme thing, like in, in a way, like I think some people wish it were a pyramid because then you don't have to work. You just sign up first and you reap all the benefits. You know, I wish it were that easy. I remember my first company uh, that I joined. I joined because my neighbor who signed me up knew where he wanted to go. He told me he wanted to be a millionaire a year from that point. He was going to be driving a brand new black Mercedes and his wife would never have to work again. And I was like, I want that life. Right. And I, I just followed him because he, he was like sure of himself. Um, my distributor ID number in that company was 577833. I still remember it. That means I'm the 577,833rd person to join that company. If it were wow. a pyramid, my, my chances of success are none, right? And when I, I climbed to the top 10 of that company within my first two years and never looked back. I mean, you have to build the business. A pyramid scheme is a, is a money game. There's no product. Bernie Madoff. Like, come on, this is a direct sales company. There are many direct sales companies that are trading on the New York Stock Exchange, big, big time investors. I mean, come on, this is the risk is real life. You got to build a sales team. You got to motivate your team. You got to believe in the product and you got to show the plan as many as much as you can, just like any other sales job, you know. So I knew it wasn't a pyramid scheme. People use those excuses um, just to get get themselves out of having to see the business. They're all, right. Everyone's a skeptic. Uh, but when you actually join the right team and you're around winners, people who are successful and they teach you how to do the business, um, you'll realize very quickly it's an incredible business. It can change your life. If you can build a team and teach them how to start their own businesses and build their own teams, <clears throat> you can build a passive income. Everybody's using the product because they believe in it. The teams are growing even bigger. Uh, you're just earning residual passive income from that business because you grew that business, right? So it's incredible. But for me, so that kind of debunks everything else. <clears throat> um you know, I always get involved in, in great companies with great products, with great ownership, with, with great track records. You know, that's right. how you know you're going to have a business that lasts forever. But um, for me, I didn't just grow up <clears throat> thinking I want to be a, a professional networker when I got older or joined a direct sales company. I, I love sales right. <clears throat> because sales jobs, the, the, there is no limit on your income. If you have if you have a sales type of job, they get show you a compensation plan. Go make as many sales as you can and make as much money as you can. I'm not getting paid hourly wages. I'm not capped on my income. Sales jobs are, are the best. It doesn't matter whether it's direct sales or any type of sales business, selling cars, selling life insurance, whatever it is. Um, but you know, um, you know when I when I joined network marketing. Um, I didn't know what it was. A neighbor introduced himself to me and told me about a business he had started. Uh, it was in 2006 when the economy had crashed in the United States. Yep. I was a real estate and mortgage broker. I worked in real estate and mortgage banking. I will say this. You were one of the top real estate and mortgage professionals in Southern California, and you were just in your 20s. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I grew up super poor, and we'll talk about my story once you, once you ask me about it later, but I'm just saying... <laughs> that when I was 23 years old, I made my first million dollars in real estate and, uh, and, and made a million dollars plus every year after that <clears throat> until about oh, 2006. Eli? Come on, when, baby. Yeah. That was before network marketing. And I, I've had a work ethic since I was eight years old. So as long as I see people that are successful and they, I could see what they're doing to become successful, I'm just going to work 10 times harder than all of them, you know? And of course you can make as much money as you want. You get out what you put in, but you gotta, you gotta be productive, not just busy. You know, a lot of people are doing busy work, busy things. I'm trying to do income generating activities every day in, in my life. But um, 
but I was a, a, a real estate person, you know, and uh, I did really well in that business for about four years. And in 2006, when the market crashed, um, it didn't matter how good I was at real estate. If banks weren't lending money, you can't help anyone get anything done and you aren't going right. to make any money. My neighbor introduced himself to me, told me about himself. He had moved in next door and he told me, I asked him what he did for a living. You know, how you have small talk with people you meet for the first time. And he told sure. me that a friend of his who he hadn't seen in 12 years shared him a, a direct sales company. And he, he, he showed me the product in the company and he said, so this is what I'm doing. And I thought, wow, that's what he does. It's not what I do. But he said, when I get time, I'll share it with you. He kind of like showed it to me and took it away. I didn't know what it was. And over the course of the next three weeks, he would share the product with me, let me try it out. And then he would invite me to a meeting that I, that I made up every excuse to go to because I was skeptical and that wasn't my thing. My so did, thing you, was did you blow him off at first and not go to the meetings? Because we've all we've all done that. Like we've yeah. all been invited to the yeah to the Tupperware party, the makeup party, whatever. And like, oh, it sounds good for you, but we don't go. But yeah. you finally went, and what happened? Like to tell you the truth, like the people that don't blow me off when I share with them my business, I get kind of scared, scared about. Like the people that are too excited when you when you tell them what you do and you invite them to become a part of it, those are the people who really quit the quickest because they expect everyone else to be excited like they were. The people that blow you off and that are skeptical, and it takes them a while to see it, and then they join you. They understand the process, so they're not afraid of, of rejection. They know that's the, the the process, you know. But um, yeah. So it took me three weeks to go uh, to my first meeting finally, and he did it on his own. He just shared a fifteen minute video with me, and I joined, you know. And uh, I didn't know what the heck to do in the business. I was brand new, and he just kept it simple for me and just gave me the first few steps uh, of of what I needed to do. But at the end of the day, sales is just about sharing and showing the product, right? And then sharing sharing the, the business. That's it. So share the product, show the plan, share the product, show the plan. That's all I was, I was setting up appointments to meet with people to show them this product and talk about this company and show the business plan and why I think they would be successful on my team. And the more I did it, the better I got. And I would just get people to believe in themselves and just say, do this thing with me. I'm running to the top with my neighbor and I don't want to leave you behind. And people just started joining. And of course there are people that quit along the way. They don't want to put in the work, but the, all you need are a few that are serious that are running with you and you can change your life. And that's what happened to me in my first year in network marketing. And you're only at this point, what, 25, 26, 27? Yeah, something like that? yeah I was, I was 26 years old uh, when I became a millionaire in, in direct sales and network marketing. Uh, yeah, it was my first year, um, but I was still green to the business. I still had to learn, you know, there was still like uh, obstacles I had to overcome on my way to really getting seasoned in the business, but I just never quit. I, you know, of course, there were days I got discouraged and I, and I felt like like just quitting sometimes, but I didn't quit, you know, um, because I knew that there were that I that I knew that, you know, everything that I wanted out of this business was just ahead of me, just 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 over all of those obstacles. I just had to go through more. I had to learn more, you know, and right. it was really all my failures that really helped me become the most successful. I learned nothing from my wins. I learned nothing from people who bought my product right away or joined my team right away. I learned everything from all the obstacles, all the hardest parts of my businesses taught me how to do it better and, and just to get better and better. And that's how I really um, developed leaders because they watched me lead by example and they followed my lead. So the, the one thing I admire about you, so this is, I met you in that company. My cousin, who was an 18-year-old female, not a lot of experience, not a lot of success in life, not for any other reason, just because she was young. I had my whole family member because they'd always say, like, if we could just get Matt, we'll go all the way to yeah. the top, whatever, <laughs> which was flattering at the time because I was off American Idol. And I was hosting TV shows and stuff. Yeah. It was my 18-year-old cousin who showed me her back office, and she was making 14 grand a week. Do you hear that, Eli? 14 grand a week. 
crazy. I remember her. Yeah. Missy Turner. And that got my attention because I wasn't making 14 grand a week. And I'm like, dude, if she can do it, I can do it. And that's where I saw Calvin. Let me. So money wise, I feel comfortable asking you this. You're my friend. In the last 12 years. First of all, the first thing I admire about you is that that company got acquired by the company you're with now. So you've really only been with one company your entire career. And I watched when that, that whole thing went down. I watched everybody jump ship. I mean, everyone, myself included. <laughs> I jumped ship. Yeah. Everyone jumped ship. And you were like the only one I can think of that stayed. And here we are in 2021. Yes, Top 10 money earner, leader, and influencer in the world. Not America, not the region, not your city. Top 10 in the world. How has that staying power helped you become what you are today? I mean, obviously, it was the right move to stay, right? Yeah, it was the right move. I mean, even my that guy, my neighbor, who's just enrolled me in the business, left, right? Like, before year one was done, he was gone, you know, and I stayed. It was really hard to stay, by the way. It took a really supportive uh, wife, my wife, Shannon, who really told me like to stay, you know, this is the company you got to be a part of, like, you know, and she has a, a strong faith in God. And she told me, you know, that, um, you know, that God's, God wouldn't give you anything you can't handle. And your right. success is, is, is when he's ready to give it to you. you know? And I just believed in that wholeheartedly. And, um, but really by me staying, uh, I really created a long lasting success because I've never had a top leader on my team leave. Like they never quit. They've been here the entire time too. So it's all about the example that you set for your people. Like, why would I quit? Calvin never quit. Look at all the adversities and struggles he ever had to go through, you know, ups and downs. And now look where he is. Look how much income he's making. Look at his level. Look at his influence. Look at how people look up to that guy. I want to be that guy. And people did that. And someone like Danny and fire follows that example going through all those ups and downs too. Now he passes me up, you know, like his life is amazing. And Stefania's life is amazing. And there are countless people who have that story, but yeah, that staying power says something about you and your character, but it also tells your company that like, man, this guy deserves everything, you know? So like, I have a great relationship with the owners. I have a great relationship with the corporate team. I have a great relationship with people in my company that make the decisions, you know? They always, you know, want to look out for my best interests, you know? Um, they want to help me and my team um, in succeeding and w- what we have going on, you know? So I'm just saying that like, when you stay the course and you're faithful, the company's faithful and loyal back to you. So let me ask you this. Why did you stay? Because I don't know the exact amount you're making, but I'm, I'm assuming you're making, bet- right? let's just say, seven figures a year. Yeah. And it went away. Not Dude. totally, but you, Bro. You, it went drastically down. Why did you stay? And, and how far did it go down? What were you making? What did you make? And why did you stay? I was making about 25000 a week, and it went down to like 1200 a week, oh, you know, which is huge, right? And that's when, that's when I met my wife, you know? And she stick, stuck with me through the, through all that, you know, which was obviously says a lot about her, you know. Um, and like, uh, you know, I remember I was like, like filing for bankruptcy and everything, you know, while I'm like this million dollar year in this, this company. Is this, is this 2011? Uh, this, this was 2000 and uh, like probably 2008, you know, around that time. Okay. And, um, and uh, because I joined in 2006, 2007, uh, my upline left, my income just crashed right after I hit that milestone mark, you know. And, um, I found myself at a crossroads. Do I leave and follow these guys or do I just stay the course? And my wife was a big part of me staying, you know, and then I met some other mentors who weren't on my team who'd been seasoned in the business for a lot longer than I was 20 years. I've been in it for two years. And they're like, Calvin, this story you'll hear over and over again in, in your lifetime in this industry, people leaving for the next best thing, what they think is the next best thing. And he's like, Hey, 
he named the company they all left for. And he's like, Hey, mark my words. One year from now, you'll never hear this name again. And he was right. In nine months, that company wow. bankrupted itself. <laughs> I, re I and, uh, remember that. I watched yeah, yeah. that from a distance. Yeah. And then I, and I stayed the course, you know, and, and what took me eight months to build the first time took me two years to rebuild, but I rebuilt it stronger and better. You know, I built myself back to that million dollar income earner. And then I never looked back after that, man. It's been 15 years now. I've never looked back and just kept climbing, climbing. But that like really taught me something about myself. Like, man, like there's nothing too hard. You know, if I could build it once, I can build it again. But once I build it again, I was like, I never have to go anywhere. No matter what happens, I can rebuild this thing over and over again. My neighbor can take my whole business from me, can take his, can take my whole team from me to follow him because they believe in him. And I can rebuild it again. Like no one can break me. And that's what I really learned through that process. And uh, I've rebuilt my business like four or five times and it's got bigger and stronger every time, you know? Are you still friends with your neighbor? <laughs> uh, I wasn't for a while, but then I recently, like we're acquaintances now. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call, say friends, you know, but we're acquaintances now. And um, I mean, uh, we're not as good of friends as we were. I would say we're friends now, but we don't like hang out and, and, or anything like that, you know, but uh, we have respect for each other and I'm sure he's proud of what I've built, you know, and I'm, I'm happy for him and his success and what, what he has now. I mean, we're both building amazing custom homes right now, you know, and, uh, and it's, it, you know, we're, we both are achieving the dream, but I'm glad I was able to show him that no matter what happens, look, and I can rebuild and I never have to go anywhere. Like I'm still here. He's not anymore. So I'm going to put a pin right there because I do want to go back to your story because it speaks volumes about why you would stay and who you are. Your, your story is absolutely amazing. So if, if, if you're at the point of the podcast right now, if, if you fast forward, whatever, this is the part you want to hear which is which is what made me fall in love with Calvin because his your story is is unbelievable and I also say this is that I was in California about 3 4 months ago and you walked me through the custom home that you were building I put it all over my Instagram dude your house is freaking sick and I mean like he's Eli he's like and these cabinets are coming in from Mexico, and I'm having a door imported from Italy, and the custom stone is coming from Rome. And I'm like, dude, how does he do all this stuff? <laughs> this is where you're at now. Take us back to the beginning. You grew up in NorCal, and you were you know, single mom, and you were not very wealthy. Start me from wherever you think you should start from. I mean... I mean, it's it's always always cliche when people have these rags to riches story, but I really have one, so I'm I'm able to tell it, you know. And I think people um, are inspired by those types of stories because it tells you that you don't have to come from anything, you don't have to have anything handed for you to have success. You can build it on your own as long as you believe in yourself and you go to work and you develop that what I call the hustle muscle, which is called work ethic, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, when I was little, uh, I grew up, start, you know, I, I grew up with my mom in Northern California. I know I have a good relationship with my dad today, but earlier in my life, my mom separated us. You know, she moved, she separated herself from her whole family and moved us to Northern California, uh, to the Bay Area. And, um, you know, right when we got off the Greyhound bus, we were like about maybe six or seven years old. And uh, we went to the government building, got food stamps, applied for Section 8, got little, little like, uh, uh, what I don't know what you call them, coupons to go stay at the Motel Six, you know. And I remember we 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 lived in Motel Six for for quite a while. Uh, we actually lived in the parking lot until a room was available there. Uh, we lived in our in our car, and I remember every night the police would knock on our window and say, "You got to get these kids in, in a room," you know. And eventually we got into the room, and we grew up in motels. Eventually, in into you know government housing projects, we lived you know different apartment buildings. And every year we moved, you know, we we moved from house to house. Every year we had changed schools and. We got, we got kind of used to that, but my mom was always struggling, you know, to, to keep a, like a stable guy in the house that was, uh, that was like worth anything. 
Um, usually we were on our own a lot. It was just me, my twin brother, Brandon, and my younger sister, Amber. And um, my mom was always struggling, crying. She was trying to keep a job, you know, and, and take care of her kids. And um, when we, me and my brother were about eight years old, we, start, we were like, forget it. We're going to go work and we're going to go around the neighborhoods and we're going to knock on doors and ask if we could do anything for them to earn money to bring home to our mom. And we would wash cars. We would mow lawns. We would do errands for them. We would uh, help people carry their groceries to their car from the, from the, from the, from the, the supermarket, you know, and, we'd, and, and, and load up their car and do those things. And we would just earn money. I don't care if it was a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars. We'd take it back to our mom to help her keep the, the water hot or the lights on. Just help her with whatever. Help her, help her not be mad that night. I'm just being honest with you, you know. Where did and, that uh, come? Where did that come from? How old? Because it's not like, hey, this is what my father taught me. Your your dad wasn't even there. Like, where does that come from? Like, did you and your brother say, hey, this is what we got to do for mom? Like, what happened? I mean, I don't know. Maybe since we were little, we always had to do chores around the house, right? And uh, we had a list of chores we would have to do every weekend for my mom. And we were like, dude, let's just go do this outside. Let's go do this for other people, you know? What can we do for you, you know? I guess that kind of started our work ethic. And we just started knocking on doors. And once you start knocking on doors, it's really hard at the beginning and you're kind of scared. But once people start saying, yes, have you washed the car? Do this, do that. Then it gets easier and you start knocking on more doors. And we like we would be out uh, on the weekends when the when the morning started till it got dark at night. And we heard our mom yelling our, our names to come home, you know, and uh, and we 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 make as much money as we could, and we'd keep a, a logbook of all of our clients, and they'd say come once a week or come twice a month, and we'd have it written down, and we'd we'd show up on time, and we just started working, man, and, and we built we developed this work ethic, and we started just stretching it. When it was Christmas time, we'd climb all the dead oak trees in the city in the town where we lived in Northern California. We cut down the mistletoe. We'd, uh, we'd cut them into little bunches. We'd go to the, the, the local uh, wedding uh, or party favor store, buy a ribbon, wrap it around them, and we'd sell it for a quarter and 50 cents outside the grocery store so we can earn uh, money to buy Christmas presents for our family. We'd have our little sister Amber out there. We'd be like, okay, you have to be shivering the entire time. You have to act cold like you're freezing because they're going to want to uh, buy all our mistletoe so we can get our little sister home because she's cold. You know, They'd be like, you guys need to get her home quick. And then they bring her hot chocolate and do all these things. And they just give us 10, 20 bucks to like, just go home and buy all of it from us. And uh, we'd, we'd do that every day. And this carried, Matt, this carried to as we got older. My mom always told me and my brother that we'd be the first ones in our family to go to college and get them out of the, 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 yeah. the situation we were in. And we believed it. So as we got older, we were like, well, we can't go to the schools, the high schools where we live because these good high schools. We need to go to a good high school that like colleges uh, take the academic program seriously. We get, we score high on our test scores. So we need someone that's going to teach Hold us the on. right way. You knew that at a young age or your mom told you that? No, no. We knew that at a young age. I don't know how we figured that out, but like we wanted to go to college. Like we started like just researching schools and doing these things. When we were in eighth grade, uh, we saw, uh, uh we saw, uh, no, we were in eighth grade. Um, there's this kid who was like, I'm going to the school. It's called De La Salle high school, you know, in, in Concord, oh, yeah. California. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to school De La Salle. It's a private high school. We were like, what's that? And he's like, it's just a really good school, you know? And, uh, and, um, we were like, we want to go to that school. Like, what's that school? And we found it, saw it in the newspaper. They're giving placement exams and it was a private high school. They had one of the top football teams in the country and like all this really cool stuff. And so my, my brother and I being these poor kids, we went and took the test one weekend and we passed it. And now the next obstacle is how are we going to pay for it? Cause it was like eight or nine grand a year for each of us to go there, you know? And we couldn't afford yeah. that. Like, dude, who can afford that really when you don't, your mom doesn't even make that in a year, you know, right. yet alone try to keep a job all year. So um, my brother and I, we got accepted in that school. It was literally two hours to get to school because we didn't have a car. So we had to take the buses to the BART train and do all the little transfer stops and take bus to bus to bus and then get to school two hours. Okay. We, we had the schedule down 
And then we had to get jobs in Concord, California to pay for our school. So we got our work permits at 15 years old that summer. We applied at every freaking place you could think of that was hiring. Okay. And then um, we, we got, we, we got accepted at a few jobs and we didn't let them know that we were accepted by three jobs and we were going to work three jobs a day. We just accepted all of them. We planned out our schedule in the morning. We'd leave our home when it was still dark in the morning. We'd get to, we'd get to uh, Concord at around six in the morning. We were janitors in the morning at a collection agency, an office building. Uh, and then we'd go to school, do our homework in the library, in the quad during all the breaks, on the buses at night when we were going home. Um, but we'd, we'd go to school, go to sports practice because we, we played football. We ran track. I wrestled. We played baseball. Okay, so we did all that stuff. And then um, after, after that, we'd run to Exxon gas station. We were the shop boys and we cleaned up after all the mechanics in the shop where they worked on the cars, cleaned all the oil. We cleaned it all down, cleaned all their tools, cleaned everything up. We pumped fixed flat tires. We plugged flat tires, helped change oils, helped pump gas at the full service section in front of the Exxon. When we were done, we closed the bay doors, lock it up. We run across that same parking lot to Applebee's for three hours where we were host. Okay. And we worked at Applebee's 11 o'clock at night. Our night would be done. We'd run to the bus station to catch the last train home. Okay. And then um, if we'd miss it, we always hit a key at the gas station. We'd sleep in the gas station bathroom. Okay. If we missed the bus or the train. So would you have to use a payphone? Would you have to use a payphone to call your mom? Would you like have to call your mom and say, Hey mom, we're not going to make it home tonight. We're sleeping in a gas station. No, no. It was like, we didn't grow up that way. Like we didn't, my mom just knew we were good. You know, I don't know. She figured it out. You know, it's weird, you know, Uh, just how we grew up and that was our normal. But no, we didn't have to call our mom at all. You know, she knew we were good. She probably would just think we spent the night at a friend's house that night or something, you know? So um, it was like, we were just, we were, we were forced to really grow up, you know, as kids. And that really helped us later in life. If you think about it, you know, I know that most people would feel sorry. Like who would want their kids to live that way? Dude, it like, look, look where I am now. You know, I, I developed a work ethic at eight years old when most people have developed it at 18 years old or 28 years old. And they finally move out of their house. Like, dude, like I've already had 10, 20 years experience by the time I moved out of my house in the real world, you know? So when I went, I, we ended up uh, graduating from that high school, De La Salle. Uh, we got also, full ride scholarships I, to go to. I wanted to say this too, for people that don't know about De La Salle in uh, basically all through the nineties and early two thousands, they're known as the streak. Y'all won. What was it? 153 games in a row without losing. How many, what, what was the streak? It was 178 games in a row without losing. You know, we were national champions. We were on the cover of Team Cheerios, all that stuff, man. So we so never, you never, lost ever, ever lost a football game in high school. And never from freshman year all the way through. <laughs> I've never experienced a loss. You know, it's crazy. Just That's blowing out so teams. Awesome. I remember our senior year. Um, all the teams in our in our uh, league uh, chose at the beginning of the year when there's when all the coaches are meeting to set up the schedule. All of them agreed to forfeit against De La Salle because they don't want to. They're going to lose anyways, and they don't want to risk their top guys getting hurt during that game. So we, we they they forfeited us our senior year. So we're automatically birthed uh, uh, the North Coast Section Championship game to get to state championships. So we're automatically in that. Bypass Can you all imagine playoffs, being so intimidating to other people that they forfeit before they even fight you? And then, <laughs> so let me talk to me about your size. So when you played high school, what was your height and weight? Dude, I was like probably like uh, like six foot. I'm I'm six one now, but I mean maybe six foot around that area. And my weight was only like, dude, we were small. Our team, and we were right? That's good. what I was. I was like a hundred and like I was probably like one sixty. You know, so six so six foot one sixty. And this was what De La Salle was known for: is 
Dude, they don't have the biggest guys in the world. They don't have these blue chip guys, but they are going to outwork and out leverage. I've never seen an offense. I'm an ex football guy. I'm an offensive lineman, and I was, yeah. you know, 6'5, 340. But these guys, <laughs> De La Salle, the Spartans, they would fire off the ball faster than anyone, and they would get underneath you. And it was all about leverage. And that, dude, you guys are unbelievable. Exactly. And this is why, I mean, listening to his story, if you go to Calvin's website, calvinbecerra.com, B-E-C-E-R-R-A, calvinbecerra.com, right on the cover, his quote, it says, all I know is the hustle. I freaking <laughs> love it. All right, keep going. So you got, yeah, a, thanks, you got a scholarship, you and your brother? Yeah, we got, we ran track and field. Uh, we were, you know, we were track stars. I wrestled as well, you know. Um, and I was, I was a, a top athlete on the wrestling mat and obviously we are a national championship football team. So we got full ride scholarships for academics as well, because we graduate, we, uh, we scored high on our PSATs, which you take your junior year. So we got presidential scholarships to all the top universities, which were like 30 to $60,000 scholarships per year. Yeah. Um, I got, so a, I, I got, I got an 860 on that. What'd you get? <laughs> I think I got like maybe high 1300s, <laughs> you know? Yeah, Dallas Al was good academically too. They they prepared us, you know, for the SATs. Uh, my PSAT, I think I scored like twelve eighty, but then the ran SATs high thirteen hundreds. But the PSAT before the SAT got me a full ride scholarship. You know, um, I'm Hispanic, so I have a, uh, I I have that working in my favor when it comes to high test scores for for Hispanics. So I received big scholarships because of that academically as well. So that helped us. Um, but that paid for our, our our college. So in essence, we didn't have to work through college, but we did. Why? because we were so worse, used to working. Like if we didn't work, we would feel unproductive. Wow. So we worked all through college while we were going to school and playing sports. Like I'm telling you, I, I worked every, I worked at Hollywood video wearing a popcorn vest and a, and a little bow tie. I, I, I passed out cereal coupons on the weekend wearing Tony, the tiger, big, the big old Tony, the tiger <laughs> costumes. Like I would, I would pass out herbal essences, shampoo packet packets on the weekends. Like wow. I worked at the census bureau. I picked up dog, at dog shows on the weekends. I valet parked cars. Like I worked my ass off all through college. And what did that do for me? It told my friends, damn, these, these two guys, these twins, these guys work hard. They're working all weekends. Our parents are giving us money to spend in college. These guys are working. And like, they would let us work for their parents' companies. And like, they would just talk us up. And because we worked so hard, we started getting offered better jobs and better jobs. And we started just climbing the ladder. And then we graduated uh, college at the top of our class, cum laude. And uh, then we both went into to business and I went and got involved in real estate and mortgage banking after college. I knew nothing about it. I just was like, people here make a lot of money. I want to make a lot of money. Teach me what, what to do. And the owner of this company in Irvine, California, First Lincoln Capital, um, they gave me a desk with no leads. And they're like, we're not going to give you any leads. So you got to bring them in yourself and bring in your own business. I was like, that's fine. All I did was sit at that desk every day for like eight to 10 hours and listen to all the people on the phones, all the people with experience older than me, how they handled objections, how they talked to their clients, how they lost deals and got them back. And I learned all day long. And after a couple months, I started applying myself in the real world and started bringing in deals. By the end of my first year, I was a top producer in that office with no leads. They gave me my own office. My second year, I made like a half a million. My first year, I made like 110 grand. Uh, and then my third year, I started my own company and made 1.6 million and then just kept climbing after that. Let's and then in 2006. Go. Eli, what are we doing? We got to freaking step our game up. We're in the wrong was, business. Bro, no. It's like, it, you could put Calvin in mortgage. You could put Calvin in, oh, you're going to be an actor tomorrow. Don't matter. You take someone like Calvin Becerra, you put him in any avenue, and not only will he eventually win, but when he sits down, he's going to say, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to be better than everyone. When you were sitting at that desk, 
no leads. Didn't you know that you were going to be the top dog there? You knew it, right? I knew it. So when I first got there, I remember I had a, a, a conversation in the elevator on my first day with the owner. And he's like, hey, Calvin. And I was like, hey, how you doing? And he's like, how much money do you want to make? And I was like, I want to make 100000 a year because since I was little, that was rich. $100,000 a year, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was like, he looked at me and he was like, that's it? And once he said those words, I was like, I'm going to be rich. Like, if he <laughs> thinks that's nothing, you know, I swear. So that at first day, I knew it. And when I sat at that desk, I was just like, all I was, I was a sponge. I was absorbing all the information. I was downloading everything so I can go put it to work, you know? So I knew it was only a matter of time before I broke out, you know? And I, and I just went out and I started bringing in all the deals every day. And the, the guys would help me put them together. And then at the end of the first year, I, I negotiated a higher split with my commissions and they gave me my own office. And the third year, they're like, we know you're going to go off on your own now. You ain't going to keep give, giving us free money. And I was like, hey, thanks for teaching me everything. And I went off on my own. And then I started my own, my own company and just blew it up, you know? Let me ask you this. How old were you when you made your first million dollars in one 12 month span? How old were you? Uh, when you 23. Oh my yep. 23 God. years old. 23. You <laughs> 23, made a mill. And I blew it all, bro. I blew it all. Cause I was only 23. I, I was the guy, I was the guy, <laughs> I was the guy with the table on the dance floor at Sutra nightclub. And all, all my friends were hanging around me just, just to get the free stuff, you know? Um, I was, I was blowing it all. I wasn't saving my money at all. I, I, I spent a lot of my money on real estate, buying houses at the top of the market because I didn't understand the market at all, you know? So I lost everything in 2006. So that first chance, that first experience of me making millions was practice for my next millions that I made in, in network marketing, you know? Let me ask you this through all the downfalls, you, you know, growing up without a, without a dad, uh, sounds like your mom supported you, but she definitely didn't, you know, keep tabs on you. Yeah. And you're hustling, you're you're picking up dog crap, you're shoveling oil from a gas station, you're dressing up as Tony the Tiger. And then you fast forward, you know, you you start this multi-million dollar business in network marketing and it gets jacked from you. What was the out of all that, what was the lowest point of your life? And do you ever get depressed? Did you ever get down? Did you ever feel sorry like I'm going to quit? Like did you ever feel that? Yeah, I mean, that first experience I had, you know, when when all you guys, you talk about jumping ship, you know, when everybody was jumping ship, like I was like, man, my whole team's gone. They just followed my neighbor to this next company. I'm on my own, you know? And like I said, I'm lucky to have people around me. Like I didn't grow up with my dad, but my dad was in my life since I started college in a, in a, in the, in a really good way, like a dad should be. And um, so if it wasn't for my dad and my wife that I had just met at that time, um, then I, I probably would have left, you know, but I had people in my corner just telling me to believe in myself. My dad taught me a lot about the secret, you know, and the, the, the law of positive thinking and the law of attraction. And, you know, that like it was it was a season of my life where, you know, I was just pruning. They're getting rid of all the people that know need me in my life and to, to get me ready for the for the comeback, you know. And my wife just helped me put my faith in God. And uh, and that got me through everything. So that was my lowest point. But once I was able to overcome that, it took me two years to get out of that thing, to get out of that funk, to rebuild my, my business back. But after that, I realized I can do anything. Like nothing can break me from that point. I expected challenge. I started, I expected success, but I also, I always expect uh, obstacles and adversities in the way, no matter what, even from today, moving on, I know that I'm going to have to face many more challenges, but I'm used to it now. I'm prepared now. You know, it's part of the process. Was it at that low point um, Mm -hmm. where you met your, she was your girlfriend at the time, Shannon, was it at that low point? Her point is that when you fell in love with her and you said, this is going to be my wife. Yeah, just because, you know, um, she'd, she'd already been a mom. She'd had two kids. I knew that she'd be a good wife because of the way she was a mom, you know, and I wanted kids one day. And I was like, that's the one that I want, I want for the mother of my children. 
uh, just her faith in God. I mean, the first gift she ever bought me was a Bible. I mean, and that, that says a lot about a girl, you know, and that was probably a risk on her part to do right. that. Maybe that could probably would have scared a guy away in his early twenties. Right. But for <laughs> right. me, it, t- it told me a lot about this woman. I'm like, she's going to be my wife one day, you know? And, uh, but, um, how important is, how important is, is God to you now? Cause you're, you're almost 40, right? You're almost 40. Yeah. Um, very how important, important is God you know, in your life? I, I, I know that, you know, he directs my steps, but, um, you know, I see it in my kids, you know, the way that they love God and, you know, they go to really good schools and they always were praying at night. And I just think it's a big part of our mindset is being able to believe in something, have faith in something or someone um, that could kind of take those fears away and just let you know that, hey, everyone has their own journey in life. You just have to go through it, like enjoy the process, respect the journey. It was built specifically for you, you know, so um but yeah, no, faith isn't a very important part of my life. And it started in high school when I went to that school, De La Salle. It was a private high school. We prayed every morning and uh, we went to chapel every week. Uh, and uh, and that was really where the foundation started in my life. You know, you talked about too earlier on in the podcast of when the business fell apart and, you know, everybody jumped ship. You know, I remember leaders, your, you know, your best friends and you know, yeah. your best friends, friends left and went somewhere else. Who... Who was your mentor and who's your mentor today? Who's that one person that you can say really helped you level up or elevated you like that's my guy or that's my girl? Like who is that mentor for you that you still glean from? Man, like uh, uh, today I have many mentors. I don't even know when they're my mentors. You know, when I look at Brad Lee on, on, on Instagram, I always watch him all the time. I look at Grant Cardone. Um, you know, there's, you know, Eric Worry in our industry, you know, he's, he's been a mentor to so many and he's, he's taught me a lot of things in my business. But at that point in my life, it was Randy Schrader, really good guy that had a lot of experience in the industry. And he taught me a lot of principles about network marketing. Um, he taught me about the idea of learn, develop and become, you know, and to teach everyone those stages in life to success. Like success isn't going to be handed to you and it's not going to happen overnight. You have to focus on learning first, learning, 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 and then applying everything you learn and developing yourself. And then eventually you become successful and just teaching people that uh, everybody has their time. But uh, I mean, Randy Schrader was a big part of influence in my life. But today, you know, as I've, as I've, as I've really outgrown who I was in my early twenties or my mid twenties, I I just keep looking to a lot of new influencers, you know, that I can learn from and really get inspiration from, like I said, Bradley and Grant Cardone and, and those types of guys, even Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. Um, just guys, you know, and, um, but just a lot of people. And I, and I, and also I just make sure that the people that I surround myself with are people who want to be more successful than they are now. You know, someone like you, uh, you know, my twin brother, Brandon, you know, my, my, one of my best friends, Wayne Willette. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, Danian fire, Stefan Logato. Like I keep my circle small, but I right. only want to surround myself with people who want more in their life, who want to go farther, even though that they've achieved so much, like, like there's another level, you know, once you get there, there's always another level. Um, so like just even my friends around me influence me all the time. We're always pushing each other, you know, which is pretty cool. Um, how important is it to, you know, obviously you surround yourself with the right people. How important is it for you to identify the wrong people, the wrong mindsets and kick those out of your life and shelter your mind, your family, your friends, your business from those people infiltrating? Because now, I mean, they see you. Everyone wants to be around you. Have you seen the house he's building? Have you seen his beautiful family top in the world? Like, how do you determine who are the the cancers or the weasels that need to come out versus the people you want to be around? I mean, it only takes one time to show you someone's true character. One time they do you wrong. One time they lie to you. One time they take advantage of you. One time you catch them doing something, maybe not directly from them, but through someone else you hear about it. 
you know, then, then, then really I'm too old to like, uh, to, I'm not too old, obviously I'm, I'll be 40, you know, in March, but I'm just saying that, um, you know, I've, I've already wasted enough time on people, um, that didn't do me good, you know, um, toxic people. Um, I, I, I've given people enough chances. I'm just saying now I need to really keep my circle tight and keep, and if I want to grow to another level of my life, I need to really be careful about that. And so, you know, when people, when I lose trust in people, when they do me wrong, when they lie to me, uh, when they're taking advantage of me, when I, when they have ulterior motives and I need to slowly distance myself from those people, you know, I don't, I don't publicly shame them or I don't like just, uh, make them feel bad to their face. It's just like, I won't return the call. I won't return the text. Like I can't, I can't do it, you know, and, and, and they know what they did wrong, you know, uh, unless they came and apologized or, or, or really showed me they're making a real change in their life. I could really, um, you know, bring them back into my circle, but it's really important that I eliminate those people every year. I'm always looking to, to, to prune the tree, like to, 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 to keep the, the, the fruit and get rid of the, you know, the dead weight, cut the fat from my life. I call it, you know? Yeah. But the one thing that you've really been good at, and you can tell, like you can tell just on social media, you can tell who the bitter people are versus the stable people. And I know, I mean, with any successful person or business, the more successful you are, the more no's, heartaches, and failures that you've had. We all know that. But one thing I appreciate about you that that I've really incorporated in my life is you know how to weed people out, but you also know how to forgive people. Like we're talking about, you know, even your neighbor and you say, yeah, I still talk to him this day. Like we're not as tight as we used to be, but you don't hate the guy. Like how important is forgiveness for those people who do? Yeah, I never have hate on people, um, but there are people who who don't change, you know. So I don't like publicly shame them. Like I said, I don't like if I saw them and they, you know, were at a, a party at my brother's home, a barbecue or something, I would still talk to them and and and, and be nice to them and, and those types. But I'll never like shame people. I'll never just cut people out of my life. But um, but obviously, like, yeah, I can always forgive people. I think time heals everything. That that's the reality of it, you know. Um, but it's just I can't have them in my direct line of contact, if they're going to be like this, you know, but, but if, if I can just separate them from myself, of course, I'll always forgive everybody. I think time heals everything. Um, if I can let a month go by or maybe a couple of years go by, um, I can maybe allow them back in, back in, you know, but yeah, I never, I never shame people. I'm always forgiving. I'm very forgiving. Um, people know I don't burn any bridges. Like I, right. everybody's my friend, you know, um, enemies or, you know, close, close people. I'm just saying that, you're right. Forgiveness is, is, is a very important part of my life. Like I'll never not forgive anybody. It's just, we gotta, we gotta have that conversation. You know? Have you, uh, I don't know why I'm asking this, but it's on my heart. So I just, I'll ask you, um, you know, thinking, thinking about growing up without your dad and now you are very open that you've allowed him back in your life and you, you know, you love him, you learn from him. Um, have you had like, and your, your life's a testimony to that because you've had these people that have, done you wrong at some point, but you still love them. You still forgive. And I think that plays into success when you can move forward with a clean heart, a clean mind, not harbor any bitterness or anger. It allows, you know, the supernatural realm, you know, if you say, or God, it allows God to bless you even more when you're not, you know, hating on the people who have done you wrong. Right. Have you ever had have you ever had, and you don't have to name names, but I'm just curious, have you ever had those people that did you wrong at some point, whether it's a family member, business partner, relationship, come back and just, I was wrong. I am so sorry. Have you had that that encounter with people that, that they've really apologized? I swear, not really. I'm just being honest with you. I wish I did, but it's like, I don't know. Maybe it's just pride, people's pride. Like there are people that I surround myself with now, ex-business partners, you know, um, 
um, just people have done me wrong. And like, I, I feel like some people just are too prideful to apologize, but it's kind of like I'm apologizing for them. I don't know about by forgiving them. And they know, I think in their heart that I, that, that they did me wrong, but I'm still willing to forgive them, you know, and I think they appreciate that more, you know, and they'll do certain things for me. Like they'll give me gifts or they'll do something for me or send me like a letter or, or, or let me know that they're thinking about me. Like it's kind of their way of just saying, Hey man, thank you for forgiving me. Uh, I just wanted to send this quick note to you, you know, like there, it's like a, it's like a unsaid, I guess, type of, of apology, but I've never had someone like really do that to me, you know? No, and, I, and I, the reason I brought that up is it's so important. Like, you just heard Calvin, one of the most successful people on the planet, say that he doesn't need the big I'm sorry. Yeah, it's nice when you hear it or if you hear it, but he's moving forward and he's forgiving regardless of what they do. And I just think that shows a lot about your character. And, and again, it's a testimony to a lot of your success. You've you won in real estate. You've won in network marketing and continue to win. But one thing I always ask you about that I know very little about, but I'm growing is cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum. You've been on, you know, you were ahead of the curve. You were ahead of the wave. What's going on in that business and why do people need to pay attention? What's happening? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I've always been looking to invest, you know, after I blew all my money when I made a lot of money in my early, earlier years, right. you know, um, now I have a family, you know, I have a, their futures I have to think about. So investing, you know, it didn't start with cryptocurrency. It started with obviously having good life insurance policies for my family, opening, opening up, you know, SEP IRAs, Roth IRAs, whatever, to start those small little investment accounts every year, then getting involved in the stock market and, and, and really learning how to, uh, what to invest my money. And I had to like, for me, how did I learn how to, how to invest in stocks and these things? I had to lose a lot of money in order to learn how to, how to do it right. You know? So that was my tuition for learning how to make money in the stock market was losing it first. Okay. But, uh, but then also cryptocurrency, there came a time in my life where I was like, I got to diversify. I bought like silver. I bought gold. I had my money in uh, retirement accounts, Roth IRAs, 401ks, uh, I had life insurance policies, you know? Um, and then I was like, what else can I invest in? And then crypto, I heard, I remember someone talked about Bitcoin. I'm like, how do you buy Bitcoin? I Googled it one day. And then it was like, download, download Coinbase, you know? And so I downloaded that. And then, um, and then there were like two coins on there that you can buy. I'm like, what is this stuff? Like Ethereum and like Bitcoin. I see that, you know, <laughs> Bitcoin was about like $800 at the time. Oh my gosh. And I remember like, so I bought like, I, so I don't bit, know, I Bitcoin like, was $800. Um, I remember I bought like 20 grand worth real quick, you know? And I was like, okay, cool. Here's a good investment. 20,000. Hopefully it'll turn into 30 with, for me in like about uh, 10 years. Hopefully I can get a just 5% return on it. Like I didn't know it would give me thousands of percents return, you know, like crazy. Just, just, right? so, just so everyone knows at the beginning of 2021, Bitcoin was over $30,000, right? Yeah. I think right now, last night it was like 37. Yeah. Just last night, you know, Ethereum so is he bought it for 800 bucks. Right oh my gosh. So what are you seeing? Like I, I ask you all the time. Dude, I bought Ethereum real quick. I bought Ethereum at $9, by the way. Okay. So I bought a bunch of those, like 900 of those. And then that ended up like turning into millions, which is crazy, right? So think about 900 times $9, 81. What I do, spend like 8,100 bucks or something maybe, you know, and like turn into right. millions, like crazy stuff, okay? But I didn't know anything about it. Now I know a lot about it all, you know? And there's all these other types of cryptos, which I call coins. And I wouldn't <laughs> waste my money on, you know, but um, they're pump and dump coins. Some of them are scams, but you, you named it at the beginning, the three horsemen, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. That's all I touch. That's it. I'll never lose on that. I'm safe. You know, I could sleep well at night. It, it's very volatile, though, man. It, it goes up and down very quickly. Yeah. How do you weather the storm and do you freak out? 
Well, because I'm not a trader. I'm not a day trader. I'm not trying to get in and get out, get in and get out. I have a long-term vision. So it doesn't matter how volatile it is. The long-term play always wins. doesn't matter. It'll always be like, boom, boom. But it'll, over the, it'll just go get all the way to where you need it. And it's still doing this up here, but you got it. Now you have it up here. You're, I'm long-term. So these guys are like, whoa, the, the sky is falling. Bitcoin's going to crash. What do I care? Uh, my cash out is five years from now when it's 400 grand, when it's 500 grand a coin. Like, I don't give a crap. I, I see the technology will advance. I see the names behind it. I see big institutional investors putting their money in Bitcoin, propping the price up now, spending 500 million, a billion dollars, market strategy CEO, Elon uh, Musk talking about Bitcoin all the time now. Come on now, that's big money. Now there's real money in Bitcoin, right? I'm not talking about all the other coins. Like that's a long-term play. That's, you know, you have, you have, uh, you have companies, uh, JP Morgan and Chase and them, you know, talking about how it'll be, you know, $120,000 this year, $400,000, you know, in the next, next couple of years. Like, dude, what a, I'll buy it right now at 37. If I know, if, if I know that it could potentially go there or go even go halfway there, I'm long-term. It could be volatile. I want it to be volatile. The only way it's going to get up here is if it's volatile. It can't be some slow-moving, you know, uh, asset. So, so you 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 bought your first one at eight hundred dollars. Let's just say today it's around thirty-eight thousand dollars. You're still buying? I'm still buying. I buy like probably I buy at least once a week, but I would say on average like two or three times a week. I don't care if it's five hundred here, a thousand there. You know, uh, if if I can get five five grand here, I don't care if it's three hundred bucks. Like, it's the it's it's really not about the price of it anymore. It's about the return on that investment now. Like, it doesn't matter. You don't have to have enough money to buy Bitcoin. You could be just a regular person. You could buy as much of Bitcoin as you want. You could buy 2% of a Bitcoin, a half a percent. I could buy $500 worth of Bitcoin today. I don't care that the price of the Bitcoin. I just know that when it doubles, my $500 doubled. I'm getting 100% return on my investment. Like, there's nothing else I can invest in today that can give me that return. People are putting money in the stock market, in savings account, money market accounts to get 2.5%, 5%. Like I'll put five hundred dollars in Bitcoin so I can get a forty percent return in two months. Like, dude, it's it's a no brainer. So, so that's Ethereum, Litecoin. When people are doing stock market stuff like that, savings account is that just stupid to you? Like, is that just dumb? It is because the more money we print, the more bad that's going on here in our economy. The more we're bailing people out, which is okay because people need help right now. Um, the 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 lower the dollar value is. You know, the more we print, uh, the more expensive things are going to get. You know, inflation is crazy. Which gives, uh, which gives more value to Bitcoin because it's scarce. It's more scarce than gold. There's only 21 million Bitcoins that will ever be created. And you could break that into pieces. But imagine man, there are more millionaires than there are Bitcoins by tons. There's not even enough Bitcoins for each millionaire to have one. <laughs> There's like 200. How many billionaires are there on the planet? Like, I forget, like 260 million millionaires or something and like they're that. Old, and they're only printing 21 million Bitcoins? Yeah, there's only that'll ever be mined, which are created online. There are only 21 million Bitcoins ever in existence. That's the supply. Now it can be divided amongst that. You can get portions of it. But imagine like any successful, wealthy person wants an entire Bitcoin. I just want to have a Bitcoin, right? There's yeah. not even enough for every millionaire on the planet to have one, get alone every normal person. I'm just saying people make less. So imagine one day over the next couple of years, they're going to be, they're going to be like, you know, hundreds of millions of people fighting over a few, few million Bitcoin. Imagine how much how how high the price of Bitcoin is going to be at that point. You know, right now you're yeah. still early. Thirty eight thousand dollars sounds like the price of a freaking car, okay? But you're way early in the institutional investors just started investing two two or three months ago. It's been ten years since Bitcoin was created. You know, none of them ever put their money in. It was just regular I, people. I remember talking to you about this five years ago when you told me to get in. And you and you said, dude. 
I, I'm pretty sure these big financial institutions are going to start investing. And now we're here. Now we're here. So there are ETFs and everything. I'm not a financial advisor, so I don't give any financial advice. So this is just right. all my speculation. So don't take my word for it. But I can only but tell you my worried. results so far. They've been incredible, right? So, but yeah, we're here. Um, ETFs are being made with Ethereum. I mean, come on. If you want to, if you don't want to buy Bitcoin and you trust the stock market more, good. GBTC, Greystone Bitcoin uh, Trust Company. They they take their investors' money and just buy 100% Bitcoin with it. You know, you could put it in there. GBTC, Ethereum also has uh, Greystone Ethereum. Um, you know, ticker symbol on there. Uh, I mean, there there are different ways to buy Bitcoin. You can buy it from your pay PayPal. You can buy it now. Imagine that. You couldn't do that Jeez. last year or the year before. PayPal's right. bought hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cryptos that you can buy from your PayPal account. It says buy cryptocurrency. Imagine that. Like the world is changing. When PayPal now, you can buy it through your PayPal. Now it's real. Now it's getting real, right? Yeah. And you're still at the beginning. Like, so, dude, that's it. It's incredible. Uh, and you say like, oh, I'm not a financial advisor. Don't take my advice. But, you know, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite mentors of all time, Miles Monroe, said, you don't you don't measure a leader by the medals on his chest. You measure a leader by the scars on their back. And Calvin's got some scars because he's been at the bottom. He's overcome and come to the top. So and in the last 10 years I've known you, hey man, you've never really I mean, you've taken some some on the chin, but I've never seen you knocked out. So I am gonna take your advice. And that's why I do call you and ask you because I trust what you say, and I know that you're backing up. Let me ask you this before we let you go, because we don't have a lot of time. If Calvin Becerra, you know, back in 2004, but you know what you know now, so you're back at 20 years old, let's just say, you don't have a lot of money, but you have the knowledge that you have now, what would you do right now? Man, um... How would you get successful again if everything was taken away, but you still have your knowledge? Yeah, I would invest more. I didn't do that enough early on. You know, I just started really investing like in my maybe my mid 30s, you know, and I'm almost 40. So not really that long, you know, um, since I started investing, I would invest more. I wouldn't I wouldn't save more. Like you said, what's money in the bank? It's nothing. It's like you're losing money by having it in the bank. I did all that. You know, um, I would invest more. Um, I would. uh you know, I would invest more of my money, but I would also invest more into myself, personal development, personal growth. But I would take all the knowledge I have and I'd probably monetize that with people. I'd want to share more with people, tell more to people, coach more people, not just people in my network marketing business, but like people in general, you know, that, that, it's like what I do now. I wish I would have done that earlier. You know, like I know I'm a top network marketing uh, professional um, speaking on stages around the world, sharing my story that I shared with you today. But like also right now, I'm doing a lot of coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching with successful business people, with people who want to be successful in business. I'm helping consult with uh, million-dollar companies, helping them hit the billion-dollar mark, helping them hit the tens or hundreds of millions of dollars mark. So like, um, I'd want to share more of what I know rather than just keep it for my teams. You know, I'd want to spread the wealth, spread the knowledge with more people. You know, we didn't have podcasts back then. We didn't have Zooms back then. You know, when I, when I, when I was that young, now I'm able to share my message with the world from my living room, which is pretty cool, you know, but I probably definitely invest more of my income rather than save it, but I'd also share more of my knowledge and wealth with more people rather than just my own team within my business, which is what I'm doing now, but I wish I would have done it before. I mean, how, how, important, how important is social media to people that want to expand their business? And it's everything. It's your brand. Like everything is social media today. Every single person you know, whether they're super young or super old, has a smartphone in their hands, they're inside their homes, especially today. 
I mean, everybody's in front of their homes or in front of their phones or their computers looking at everyone else's life all day long, social media. That's how you build your brand. That's how you grow your audience. But really, it's really an art. Social media is an art. It's, 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 it's in the value, value-driven content you post on your social media. It's not just talking about you walking your dog today or you stubbing your toe today and showing pictures of your bloody toenail. And like, it's not any of that garbage stuff, you know? It's what value-driven content can I feed to the audience I want to attract, right? Like, what do they, what do they enjoy? What are their interests? You know, more than just your business or what you're selling, what do they, what do they enjoy looking at and watching? What makes them stop when they're scrolling down? Like, what kind of value can you give people outside of what you're selling or what you're doing that's going to attract them to follow you, like your stuff, share your content, and then stumble across what it is you're selling, stumble across your podcast. Like, you got to figure out who your tribe is first, find out what their interests are, what they like the most, and then feed them value-driven content around those things. And then in between that value-driven content, drop your podcast, drop your promotions, drop this, drop what you're selling, and they're going to stumble across that. But at that point, they already know, like, and trust you. So they're going to want to buy what you're selling. They're going to want to jump on what you're doing. That's it. But social media is an art. So it's not just like creating a handle, throwing your pictures on there, sharing your day. It's feeding uh, value-driven content that's going to attract an audience that's going to grow your brand and what's going to eventually lead to your success. But social media is everything. You know, social media is everything. And, and it's really, it just takes practice. But once you get it down, like the sky's the limit, you know, you can grow your audience as, as big and, and as far as you want. Last two questions before I let you go. First question is, what is one either book, podcast, follow on social media? What's the one thing that you would say to people that want to expand? What would they read? Who should they follow? One one thing. Um, I would say um, one of the books. There's a few books that I'm reading right now. I wish I could freaking show them to you guys right now. But my wife moves everything. It's around. Hey, that's a beautiful restoration hardware uh, lamp in your background. Chandelier. Yeah. <laughs> Gorgeous. Right. So, um, but I would say um, a really good book is As a Man Thinketh. That's a really good book um, that I think people should read. Um, also, uh, what else? Um, you know, John Maxwell's Leadership Principles is a really good book. I don't want to bore people with books, but I mean, like podcasts are the, are, are, are the way of today. You know, podcasts, there are tons of podcasts um, that you can, that you can t- tune into. We talked about crypto, Right. Um, uh, the pomp, Anthony Pompliano. Um, he's awesome. A crypto, crypto guy that I follow. He has a really cool podcast. Obviously the level up podcast podcast. Yeah, there you go. Like I said, your, your lineup is incredible, man. The people that you tell me are coming onto your podcast in the future. Like I can't wait to to listen to those myself and to share that around. So that's awesome right there. Um, but it's just like, you know, Brad Lee on, on Instagram. I love that guy because he's so real and he freaking, he makes me want to listen to him. makes me laugh. Me like makes me, he speaks my language and I want to share that with people, but he's, he gets down to it. He's successful. Uh, I like Bradley. You know, real Bradley. Hey, Bradley's coming on level up brother. So you're going to drop before he does. Dude, come on. See, you got everybody. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, dude. So anyways, obviously, you know, following Matt Rogers, just following you being your friend, man, like just getting me on this podcast, but also just in, in me knowing that those guys are in your circle, those guys are willing to jump on your podcast says a lot about who you are. So anyways, um, you know, just big word of advice is just be careful who you who you have in your circle and and build your circle. You know, build your circle with five key people that are in it that 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 are always feeding you and that you guys are working off of uh, to keep going to the next level. There you go, Calvin Becerra, my friends. You can follow him on Instagram, Calvin Becerra, B E C E R R A, and of course his website, calvinbecerra.com. Give people one level up quote. Leave them with one level up quote. What would you have people level up on? Um, okay, one level up quote. 
that I would want to leave people with. Um, and what's one good quote? You know, what's the first one that came to your mind? I know. I'm just trying to think real quick. I want to think of something that has to do with what we're talking about today. You know, um, man. Um, I would just say maybe success is a mountain, you know, success is a mountain. Okay. And what that means is, and that's what I always teach to, to my most successful leaders in my business is that, you know, there, and I want to talk about this for a second. Success is a mountain. That's the quote, first of all. Okay. Um, whenever you think of any type of mountain climber, that's trying to uh, climb Mount Everest, or they're trying to climb the Himalayas, or trying to climb any, any mountain that's going to give them any significance in their life or any influence to be able to speak on stages around the world. That mountain climber was prepared for every step of that mountain. He didn't just think, I'm going to start today. I'm going to end up at the top tomorrow. He knows there are obstacles along the way. He knows there are challenges along the way. He's prepared. He has a 150-pound sack on his back with tools to help him climb up that mountain. He knows that there will be crevasses he'll have to climb, that he's going to have to pull out the oxygen tanks once he gets towards the top and the oxygen levels are depleted. He knows about all of the crazy extreme weather conditions that, that, that he, he's going to undergo on the way to the top of the mountain, but all he wants is success. There's no one in life that ever should expect success, but be but be thinking that they're going to avoid all the challenges and obstacles sure. along the way. Like success is a mountain. Uh, expect success, but also expect the challenges and adversities that are on the way to the top of the mountain. There it is. Success is a mountain. Calvin Becerra, I love you, man. Thank you for being such a great friend and mentor. Appreciate you, man. I really love the fact that I could call you and you're just, you're there for me, man. You, <laughs> hey, thanks for, thanks for inviting me. It was a fun time. Hopefully people got some good nuggets from this, uh, from this podcast and they're going to be willing to share with people they know. I appreciate you, Matt. I'm sure they did. I appreciate you. There you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, Calvin Becerra, and this has been another edition of level up.